0: Hey, and welcome to the Millennial Health Podcast. I'm Dr. J. Sheree Allen, a board-certified family physician who's passionate about the health of my fellow millennials. I know we're booked and busy, but your first wealth is your health. So I'm taking some of my most important health messages and bringing them here to you on this podcast. My goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health issues, but I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. So today we're joined by Atlanta-based psychiatrist, Dr. Dionne Metzger. Not only is she a physician, but a professor and health media expert, as well as a wife and a mother. She's been featured on The Doctors, CNN's HLN Network, and in the New York Times. Her motto of Better Mind, Better Life encourages everyone to prioritize their mental health in life's balance. Dr. Metzger, thank you so much for joining us on the Millennial Health Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little about yourself and how you became interested in mental health, not only in the clinical setting, but also in the public sphere. Um, You know,
1: the thing with mental health is, well, I should say it originally started in high school, believe it or not. Like my senior year of high school, I took a psychology class and I was like, hmm, this is pretty interesting. And then I went on to major in psychology when I was an undergrad and it just, it just sparked my interest. And I thought, just the ability to like learn about the brain and see how it affects behavior. I just was so fascinated by it. And then, you know, in medical school, we get to do every rotation during our third year. When I got to psych, which was like towards the end of my third year, I think I had done OB surgery and I had psych was towards the end. And I said, OK, I just had the light bulb moment. I was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. So it's just the ability to really help people mentally. I find that to be such a gift and in terms of seeing the before and after. So it's just something I wanted to be a part of. And what kind of got me more into the public eye is that I noticed that there was so much stigma and so many like, misunderstandings about psychiatric t- treatment and just what people are supposed to be doing. And I felt like I had to like, get on a platform so I could be able to talk to people about it and explain that you know, what these symptoms are. Because what happens was the stigma was preventing people from seeking treatment. And I noticed it was even more important or more of a stigma in, in, like, in people of color. So that's where you, I decided to kind of just get on this platform, first normalize the symptoms and say, you know, we all have dealt with this at some point in our lives and also kind of release that stigma off of seeking treatment. Because as a result, people are just kind of robbing themselves of, of the good days of their lives by just, you know, not going to get help.
0: I think uh, that was one of the more shocking things I learned in my first year of practice independently, that just your day-to-day, I'm down, I'm sad, I've had a rough patch, how do I get through this? I was really shocked at the number of patients I saw with, you know, those issues and just not seeking the help that they needed because they don't have diagnoses or they're just not aware, you know, that those uh, treatment options are out out there and exists, even just if you're sad and it's just dragging you along and affecting your quality of life.
1: Absolutely
0: okay so on a personal note uh, and I mentioned this to you a little earlier but you know I recently dealt uh, with the death of my grandmother who is the matriarch of our family and I told you before that you've offered me some of the best advice that I received during a really rough time Uh, you said and I quote uh, balance scientific reality without lessening the faith of family you know and a Thank you for that. I've expressed mm. that support genuinely from the bottom of my heart. That meant oh, so yes. much. But I think, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic now. And even though it may not be a loss of a loved one, you know, many people are grieving and they are hurting right now. How do you encourage others to balance this very tough reality that we're currently in the midst of with maintaining their faith?
1: You know, it's very interesting because I've been talking to a few patients who are dealing with different aspects of grief with the pandemic. I have some who are just grieving their former life, like in terms of their social life and being able to go out and just go to the grocery store or go meet up with friends. But I also have people who've had to cancel major events. I have two friends who had to cancel their weddings and it was just, and they asked me, they said, is it okay for me to grieve my wedding? And I said, absolutely, it would be abnormal for you not to grieve it. So I said, you know, with this, I want everybody to recognize that grief is normal. We are in a completely different stage of life that we weren't expecting to be in. And it means that we have to sacrifice a lot. So first step is recognizing the grief and not beating yourself up because People were like, would say to me, well, is it a big deal that I shouldn't be grieving this? I should just be happy I'm healthy. And I said, no, not necessarily. Like if it's a lifestyle or an event, then you should be totally, it's okay to grieve it. It's, it's, a, it's a change. And it's this abrupt
0: change that we've had to do in a matter of what, two, three weeks. I think that's a huge one. You know, uh, giving people permission to feel their feelings, you know? Mm-hmm and not be trapped in a, oh, but I'm still so much better off than X, Y, Z. You know, I don't think that prevents you from still being able to feel whatever it is that you feel.
1: Absolutely. And I see a lot of patients do that with me. They said, well, I know people are, are dying or people are really sick and they try to minimize their own symptoms. And I said, yeah, other people might be going through that, but that doesn't minimize what you're going through. So I try to really Take the focus off of kind of comparing yourself to what other people are going through, because we all have our own struggles and it doesn't make my struggle any less than yours based on what we're going through.
0: So then how do you we actually spoke to another psychiatrist a few weeks back and this was a really big one. So I wanted your take on it. How do you encourage your patients to pursue the help that they need, whether that's therapy or um, medications or how do you what do you say to them that, you know, how do you validate what they're going through and tell them it's okay to get help?
1: You know, one thing that I've found that's been really effective is storytelling. So when I talk to about, and that's what I've been using my platform for, because when I tell people stories about maybe let's say postpartum depression and somebody will identify with it and they're like, wait, I was going through that too. Um, so sometimes when people identify with a story or an anecdote of something that you went through with a patient, I noticed that that helps people to kind of feel a little bit more and I hate to use the word normal, but they, it makes them feel like they're not an oddball and like they're dealing with something that other people are dealing with. And honestly, the seeing other people get treatment is what is what usually encourages somebody. So I'll, often I'll get brand new patients and they'll say, well, you know, my best friend at work came in and, and she started on an SSRI and it's changed her life. So I was just wondering if I needed one. So, you know, we really do influence each other. And by having people around you who seek treatment, that encourages us, but also just educating. A lot of people don't seek treatment because they don't fully understand. They might not even know what they're going through as a depressive episode.
0: And that's another thing we spoke about recently, too, with another therapist in sharing our own stories. You mentioned in the very beginning that culturally you see some of this, too, you know, especially in our communities of color.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you and I are both West Indian. So you know it's even more serious. You know, it's like when I first said I was going to psychiatry, it was just like, wait, what? Yeah. You're not gonna be a surgeon?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> you wanna work with mad people? I was like, see, this is this is why we have to work on you. Um but yeah, it's just something with people of color. And it's just, I think it's just generational. And But the one thing that I really like about our current generation is the millennials are speaking up about their symptoms. And they're using social media to talk about anxiety or talk about OCD or talk about really anything or dealing with substance abuse issues. And by using that platform of social media, people are once again learning about it, but they're also learning about the options for treatment. So I really have to give kudos to the millennials because I know a lot of times this generation gets a hard time, yes. but I want to give you guys the kudos because you guys are coming to the, tr- coming to treatment. You have no problems. You make your appointments. You're like, I need to see a therapist. I am just so, I'm just like, it's so interesting because I have millennials who are now convincing their parents yes. c- to go because they're seeing how well their children are doing. And they're like, wait, cause you know, a lot of times it's genetic. A lot of times it's stuff that runs in families and mm-hmm. the parents are like, oh, well maybe I should go mm-hmm. get looked at. Yeah. So I I have to give, I have to give a shout out to
0: definitely to the Millennials. (laughs) I love that you just said that, you know, I'm quite open with uh, my friends, my family, everyone that I am actually in therapy. I ended up in therapy because I got really burnt out in my first year of practice. You know, I think going from... Absolutely. To... First year practice, you know, there's so many things you don't know about the clinical aspect of medicine as an attending physician, you know, the demands of practice and productivity. And, you know, it's not residency. You have your friends to your left and your right. You know, it's you. The decisions are yours to be made, you know, dealing with administration. And it really, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing well. And it made me sad because I was like, is this what I spent my entire life? I know. Working to get, is this it? Like, is this really it? And I spoke to someone who was in a similar position and she actually said to me, have you gone to therapy? And I just couldn't make the connection between like Epic annoying the living daylights out of me and me being at work <laughs> at night charting and therapy. Uh, gotta, gotta love Epic gotta love it. Right. So uh, for those non-medical, that's the electronic um, medical system that a it's, lot of us. It's,
1: <laughs> it's torture. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, it is really torture.
0: But you know, she said to me, she said, have you ever tried therapy? And I just didn't get it. You know, I was just like EMR, I don't know, my stress therapy, but going to therapy was amazing. It helped me to do two really big things that I use to kind of promote to my friends and my family. One, it helped me to set boundaries in my career, which was huge because as a new doc, I think I was working so hard to like prove myself and I can keep up with everyone. And I know everything, everyone else, no, that's not the reality. You know, and the thing
1: is with first year attendings, they know that you're green, you know, they know that you have all this energy, so they're going to push you as much as they can, you know, so that's really, really important. It's something I see with first year residents all, I mean, I'm first year attendings all the time. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. So I missed that memo. So I needed therapy to help me set the boundaries. And the second thing it helped me to do was to reframe my experience. Why was I there? Why did I pursue this career? Why did I say yes to this offer and work in this community? And I have very valid reasons for having done that. And it really helped me to go back to those basics. So I encourage people to go to there. You would never I would never think that therapy would have helped me to do those two things but it did. And I'm in such a better space mentally because of that.
1: You know? I honestly think everybody can benefit from therapy. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there and I'm not biased or anything because I'm a therapist, but I really do think everybody can benefit from just being heard. Cause there's also something therapeutic about just talking about something out loud and kind of just going through your stressors and going through your struggles and just saying it out loud to another person. That's therapeutic alone before they even respond to you. So I always say that it's just, just try it. I I have, the only times I see people not like therapy is if the therapist is not a right fit and that's a whole nother podcast that we could talk about that. But, um, you know, but or if they, if there's just something that they're not ready to face. So if there's a history of trauma and we have, that's part of the therapy and they're not ready to face that just yet, then that's fine. You know, therapy is something that we want you to do voluntarily and when you're ready.
0: Just going on from what we're talking about now, how can we encourage our friends and family to really pursue this? Because this is a major one that I've seen. A lot of us who have seen the light, uh, you know, we're kind of preaching to the choir. What are some other strategies we could use to get our family members and our friends on board if we know they really need help?
1: Exactly what you just did, saying your, the, pledge, the the results that you got with therapy. Like I said, if they see you doing it, that's the best way that you can get them to do it is by seeing, because they're seeing the results. It's almost like a weight loss program. If somebody joins a weight loss program, they lose 30 pounds. You're like, oh, damn, you lost a lot of weight. Maybe I should do that. You know, so it's the same thing. It's just, it's just kind of like the same analogy that where people are really, if they see you making progress and they... Know that they're in a similar place as you, they'd want to make the same progress. So exactly what you're talking about, just being upfront and transparent about going to therapy. And then just using any kind of platform that you have, whether it's social media or you know, there's so many days like mental health awareness day, therapy day. I don't know. You know, there's a day for every pancakes day, there's a day for everything. But um, you know, just every time there's something going on that's therapy related, just talk about it and just make it part of the conversation. So I think the combination of Talking about your own personal stories, in addition to just using any kind of opportunity to educate about therapy and the fact that it works, and and even just throwing stats out there because a lot of people were surprised to hear like the stats in terms of how many people experience a depressive episode, you know, within their lifetime. The stats, once again, it kind it helps people because it's like, okay, I'm not one in a million; I'm one in a (laughs) hundred. That makes a difference, or one in ten, you know. So it's um, so doing exactly what you're doing, just continuing to to be transparent about your experience with therapy, but also just using the opportunities to talk about the benefits and educate people about it.
0: Definitely. We've even mentioned here, you know, according to the World Health Organization, depression is now the number one cause of disability worldwide. You know, mm-hmm. that's huge if you think about it. You know? Right, right. And
1: that's so huge because and I and I've actually I've been one of those doctors who've had to place patients on um Disability due to depression, and what happens is, unfortunately, they initially view it as a weakness. They're like, "Man, I should be able to beat this." I said, "Would you say this if you had diabetes? You're in family practice. Would you say this if you had a broken leg? Oh, I should have been able to overcome this. I shouldn't even needed a cast. No, it's not like that. It's the same thing. It's an illness, and it's something we're going through. It's we get sick, and we need to get better." doesn't matter that it's coming from the brain or coming from the leg or coming from your blood sugars. It's all the same thing. And we just need to get better. So that's another thing that I tend to do a lot in my sessions is really just talking about the impact of mental health symptoms and, and debunking the myth that people think that they're lesser symptoms compared to physical health. Yes,
0: that's a big one. Big, big, big one. So, going on to another topic of therapists. So, you are a psychiatrist, went to medical school, did resident, completed your residency training, and now working as a psychiatrist. We mentioned a website uh, that people could use to find uh, mental health professionals. And one of the questions I got as a feedback was that the majority of mental health professionals they were finding were social. Workers. And um, my therapist is a social worker who I think is phenomenal and is trained well and does an incredible job. But there was some apprehension there. I wanted to know if you could address that for us, if you'd mind.
1: You know, the thing is with that, um, I've been to a social worker as a therapist myself, as a psychiatrist. So I definitely think that social workers are in that group that we, of, of therapists that we can consider. Um, the only reason I would tell somebody to not maybe go to specifically to like a psychologist or a psychiatrist for their therapy is if there's something more needed than just therapy. So with a psychologist, if you need to do additional testing, like if you need to do ADHD testing or you need to do specific, um, specific techniques that only a psychologist might be board certified in, then I would say, okay. But with psychiatry, with me, a lot of people like the, the option where they're able to do therapy and medication management within the same place. So very commonly, if somebody's seeing a social worker for therapy and the, and the social worker is like, okay, they're not getting much better or they, we can get even better with the addition of medication, it's just been wonderful to, to have them. They refer directly to me. But with that, going to a psychiatrist for everything is a one-stop shop. And I also must say that there's just less of us doing therapy, unfortunately, because the powers that be and insurance reimbursement. Um, so it's not as easy to find. So it's not so much that people don't want to do it. It's just there's not as many psychiatrists who do therapy these days compared to the, the um, portion of social workers. But, yeah, I went to one. So that, that's the stamp of
0: approval. Thank you. Because also, I think, too, in areas where I work, actually, there are no psychiatrists in the area that I work at all. We only have social workers available. So I took that into account, too, when I gave her an answer. So I'll ensure she listens uh, for this one. But, you know, without their assistance, there really would be a need in a lot of these more rural areas of the country, Mm -hmm. similar Mm -hmm. I'm currently practicing.
1: And, you know, that's the thing. It's so funny because with everything going on right now, we've been really kind of forced into telehealth, but that's really going to be a big part of us expanding our services and being able to, to have patients who are in these rural areas, because the likelihood of a psychiatrist setting up a private practice in the middle of this is not, it's not great. Right. So with the whole idea of virtual therapy, we're going to be able to kind of cut down a lot of the barriers of distance and really help a lot of underserved people. And where, cause you know, most people, when they need medication, they go to their therapist, but they also come to you. You're the first person that they will go to. They'll go to like family practice, internal medicine, or their OBGYN. If they want a psychiatrist, it's just not as easy. So I do think with the way telehealth is moving and the extra like, Pushing speed we've gotten these past two weeks, I think it'll help to um, broaden our reach in terms of being able to help people across the country.
0: That is so true. You've just mentioned with uh, telemedicine being pushed forward in the past two weeks, even in just our clinic appointments. So, chronic disease management follow up are also becoming virtual visits. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. our clinic over like the past week and a half when I got back from New York after uh, everything with my grandma. My visits are telemedicine visits to talk about diabetes and talk about high blood pressure. So it this control. is uh, Yep, absolutely. This really is kind of the wave of the future. But Dr. Metzger, thank you so much for joining us the day. This is amazing. Do you have any final pearls that you would like to leave with our millennials? Uh, tough time, um, rough patch, but how can we keep pressing through?
1: You know, it's something, my grandmother said it to me all the time, this too shall pass, but how about you get a therapist to help it pass a little bit quicker? <laughs>
0: I love that. Oh my gosh, that was a good one. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's it. That's that's I leave it right there. Mic job.
0: Oh my job for sure. (laughs) And would you like to tell us your Instagram handle? Sure.
1: A lot of awesome stuff. I follow- sure. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, my Instagram handle and my Twitter handle all the same thing is Dion Metzger MD. D I O N M E T Z G E R M D. And my um, website, where uh, just the things that I've done and, and shows I've been on, if you ever want to see clips, and I also blog about a lot of stuff, is uh, Dion Metzger MD once again dot com. And we also have a book that I wrote with my Colleague, who's also my good friend from medical school, and it's called The Modern Trophy Wife, and it's about just balance and how professional women, we are now the new trophy wife because we're balancing motherhood, marriage, professional lives, and how basically how to thrive at home, but also thrive in the boardroom.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much, everyone. Please Check that out. Yes. So, thank you all so much for joining me today on another episode of the Millennial Health Podcast. Remember, though, my goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health issues. I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. I hope this information was beneficial. And if so, please subscribe and share with your friends. If you have any questions or comments, also feel free to reach out on Instagram at your fave, Dr. Friend. Thank you all. and Goodbye. Thank you.